Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Well, it's been a good week in Lake... Oh, sorry, wrong show. Well, it has been a good week here. The weather's finally getting nice. We're actually getting to do some workouts and shorts. Yay! So, we have a interesting guest today. Mark Harris is a racer, but... Uh, Probably more people know him as one of the race directors of Cowboy Tough, the three-and-a-half-day adventure race in Wyoming. Um, works part of Rev3 organization, so we'll be talking about that. Um, his background and where he sees the race going and stuff like that. So we also have uh, Tales from the Trail this week, so let's listen to that now. Hey, Randy. Thanks for doing this podcast. Um, my name's Chelsea, and I'm from Journey Racing, um, a new team this year. Uh, but previously, I had raced on another team, and um, we had all through the night, neck and neck against these teams. We happened upon this row game section, which split us all up, but we knew we were all vying for the first position, so... We expected them to be on our tails at any moment. And the sun was coming up, and we'd finally gotten to this checkpoint that we'd been searching for for a little bit. And uh, all of a sudden, anyways, we were all standing around the checkpoint, figuring out where we needed to go next. And all of a sudden, we heard this trampoline and brush and twig snapping and everything um, behind me and in front of my other teammates who were facing that way. And I assumed it was a one of the teams coming behind us just being goofy and making a bunch of racket and charging at us just to be silly. Um, and my teammates saw what was coming at us, and they said, holy shnikes, uh, run! And these two teammate members who told us to run were men who had uh, formerly, and they bolted and left us two girls there to figure out what was going on. Um, Gabby turned around and saw, oops, I didn't say a name. Someone turned around and saw um, what was coming and bolted, and then I was still smiling, thinking it was the team for some reason. This all is happening in a couple milliseconds. And I turn around expecting to see a team, and there's a bear coming full speed out of the woods at me um, with his teeth, you know, uh, teeth snarling and his big uh, claws um, pulling at the ground to run towards me. He was running right at me with full speed, and... Because everyone else had run, I didn't think, and I just ran. I got about three steps and realized that was the stupidest thing, and I expected to feel the claws on my shoulders at any second, but it never happened. So I took a couple more steps, turned around, and uh, that bear had decided it had scared us far enough and had gone back in the woods. So I was about 50 feet from the bear when she was, he was, I got about three steps, turned around and wondered why I wasn't dead yet, or at least being pummeled, and she turned around. We we ran away, you know. <laughs> I got about those two more steps after those, after realizing I wasn't dead yet, um, and said, hey, team, you know, and ran up to my team. We were supposed to stay all nervous. Actually, I was... I was more angry at that point than nervous. Um, you're supposed to not run, <laughs> and we did the opposite of that. Abandoning me, but it's kind of natural, so I kind of understand. Um, but uh, 
yeah, it, it was bad because I was the last one in that joke. You know, you just have to run. If you're being chased by a bear, you just have to be faster than the last person or whatever that joke is. I don't know. Anyways, I was I was that last person in. Thanks, Lee. I didn't get mauled, but uh, it doesn't feel good to be that last person. <laughs> Thanks, Chelsea. So if you have a cool tale like that from the trail, uh, the phone number and the links for Skype, Facebook to send your message are in the show notes. So come on, everybody. We want to make fun of you just a little bit. So I want to talk just a minute about one of my uh, sort of sponsors. I'm a ambassador for Barking Frogs headgear. They're sort of like a buff, only better. Um, anybody that followed me when I was in Costa Rica at World you know, knew that I wore mine like 24-7, so they're light enough to wear when it's hot out, keep the sun and sweat off, but heavy enough that uh, keep your head warm at nighttime when you're trying to get some sleep. So They do custom orders for teams, races, uh, any events like that, or they do have some on their website for sale. You can find that link in the show notes. Once again, if you get a chance, go to iTunes. Leave some. You don't even need to re- leave a review. Just give me a five star rating because that's what I need. So, and if you'd like to donate to help keep this going, just uh, go to PayPal, and you can donate at Legendary Randy Erickson Films at gmail.com so let's listen and see what Mark has to say thanks for listening oh one other thing this week's music is the 13th floor elevators probably the original psychedelic band and songs from their album uh, Easter Uprising so thanks oh I bet you can hear me now yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was me. You need to plug something in. Uh, I had the mic on standby. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> so, so well, how I are you think, doing? Yeah, I'm good. Good. Basically, we're getting ready for our, um, we've got a 26-hour race coming up next weekend in the Shenandoah, so that's a big weekend for us, and we have a sprint and family race going on at the same time. So we have about 400 people coming out to race, so we're trying to get that squared away. So you should really probably be out in the woods, right? So out in the woods yesterday. I'm going out tomorrow. Oh, so. So, so, um, so tell me a little, where, where did you come from? Originally? <laughs> yeah. What's your background? So, you know, I grew up in um, Wales, in uh. the United Kingdom. And um, I kind of had an interesting upbringing because I grew up in an outdoor education center. So my uh, my mum and dad ran the center, and they used to have um, kids come from London, and they came up to rural Wales to do outdoor pursuits based around education. So, for example, we would uh, take the kids up to hike up a mountain, and we'd see a um, you know a stream coming out the ground. Bless you. And we'd um, kind of talk about, uh, you know, where the stream came from, the uh, the ecology and geography around the stream, and then we'd follow that down the mountain a little bit, and it may turn into a waterfall that we'd rappel off or go behind the waterfall. Um, then it would go underground, then we'd take them caving, then later on we'd get them on canoes and we'd follow it down the river. So we really kind of built the education of, the nature and the environment around doing outdoor pursuits. And that's really kind of how I got into doing outdoor activities. Um, yeah, it's just a short step from, well, you are outdoors all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was fun. And that was, you know, I got introduced to canoeing, um, rock climbing, caving, mountain biking, and all those types of things at a pretty young age. And then, um, and growing up in Wales, it's just it's just an outdoor kind of uh, paradise. It's uh, mountains, um, nice coastline, great climbing, great canoeing, kayaking, all kinds of stuff. So it's, it was a great place to kind of grow up. Yeah. So that was kind of uh, what I've been finding with the podcast is there's there's 
been two different ways that people have gotten into adventure racing. One is the outdoors person yeah, that, that becomes a racer, and then a couple of people like Nathan Fave and Graham Bird were basically world-class athletes that got into adventure racing. So exactly. you, you're probably more from the uh, the outdoors I, area, right? Yeah, I'm definitely not a world-class athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so did you guys, when you were growing up doing that, did you spend a lot of time on the water, or was that just, just part of it? Um, not a lot. I mean, we had, on the water side of things, we had we had a really nice local canal that was close to us, which was great for canoeing. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot of um, kayaking. I didn't get into that at a lot. Age. I, I have an older brother, and he got very much into the kayaking side of it. I actually did a lot of caving and a lot of climbing. That's kind of where I, I laid my hat. And then also mountain biking. That's one of my passions. And then kind of hiking and those types of things and map reading and just exploring the the endless amount of mountains that we had around our house, uh, you know, that was just kind of part of it. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, today I'm going to go out and hike. It was like, let's just go and explore. Explore. See, I, I'm I'm coming up with this theory, and, and caving fits in with that to me because um, a lot of really good adventure racers have come from a kayaking background too, and I think that um kayaking and i and probably to some extent caving is if you're good at that nothing bothers you because you're so used to making decisions and thinking ahead and and knowing what's going on so um you know yeah being on top of a mountain and trying to figure out what to do is no big deal because you can just stop and and wait yeah and a lot of those things i mean they take i mean there's, there's a lot of equipment that surrounds those types mm-hmm. of things and planning um managing your day thinking about what what's what could happen, um, resource and logistics that, you, you know, you don't just get out of bed in the morning and, um, you know, go and shoot rapids or go and jump down a cave. There's, there's some setup and planning that has to go into all those types of activities. It's a little bit different from, like, say, jumping on your bike, putting on a helmet and going out for a ride. Yeah. It's a little yeah, bit that, more involved. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, it, it's, that's interesting, the planning part, because, as we all know, adventure racing is what about three quarters planning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whether you're racing or putting it on. So, yeah. um, so did you cave a lot? I mean, are there a lot of caves in Wales? I don't know. Or, or... yeah, there are. It's in in South Wales. Is um, it's mainly limestone, and so we have okay. some of the longest longest cave systems in the United Kingdom. Uh, Kingdom in South Wales, we have some classic caving routes that lots of people come and do. And there was there was a large escarpment area not far from behind my house, and I had a really good friend who lived up on the escarpment, and I used to ride my bike over to him. Um, we used to just go and explore explore the caves, and some of them were fairly easy to get into, but there mm-hmm. were some other ones that were pretty technical technical to get into, so involving you know up to a kilometer's worth of just basically crawling on your belly through a very small hole to get into these massive caverns and they were the best ones to go to because they were unspoiled you needed some kind of ability to get in there and the equipment to get in there but it was a lot of fun and it was great you know we used to, i used to ride over there and we used to go and actually go and go and hit the caves at like 10 o'clock at night because it really didn't matter what time of day it was no it doesn't i uh when I was in high school, I had a couple of friends that were into it, and I'd go a few times, but I I was never never comfortable. I I was okay. I really kind of liked the open ones, but if I had to do you know crawl through and stuff, it, it just yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys who take it to the next level, and you're doing a lot of uh, underwater stuff inside caves, and you you know you need um, respiratory gear and those types of things. And we did a, a few like very short sump dives where you're kind of holding your breath and you're going under um, stuff and swimming underwater for short distances. But I never really got into kind of like the big um, underwater cave diving thing. That's that's a whole other animal in itself. Well, it's kind of funny. I just uh, There was a big article in this week's New Yorker about um, expedition to the, I don't remember which one, but one of the ones down in Mexico, one of the big ones, where it took them 13 days to get to the, to where they were starting to explore. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. You know what? You being a caver, just you're nuts. <laughs> so, so how did how then did you did you transfer or get into adventure racing? Uh, I mean, it's just kind of an extension, I would guess. But yeah, so you know, I I, I kind of 
I eventually moved to the States because I came over here. I was actually doing an undergraduate in construction management back in the UK. And um, they do a great exchange program through the universities where you can come over and uh, work in summer camps in the United States. So I came over one summer and I was working at a camp. I originally came over to teach sailing. I had, you know, I grew up doing a lot of sailing as well. And when I got to the summer camp, they had um, a high wire ropes course and a climbing wall as well. And uh, an outdoor staff that did mountain biking and all kinds of other fun stuff for these kids who, were, who came to stay in the camp for eight weeks over the summer. And, um, you know, that's how I originally came to the States and ultimately let, met my, uh, my wife, Margot, uh, at the summer camp and ended up staying in the States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife's over here. She's just reminding me to say that she was a, a counselor, not a camper. camper. <laughs> I was wondering, but I'm, I'm, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I did. I went back to Britain, came came to America, and then just kind of got into you know the the rat race through my through my twenties, just working and worked for an engineering company. We were living in Northern Virginia, and we were we were, we were very outdoors. We we went. We st- we did a lot of climbing. Um, went out to West Virginia. I was actually telling some some guys at work yesterday. Um, I had a I had a pretty bad fall in West Virginia that kind of ended my my climbing career. I did a lot of climbing all throughout uh, university, some great climbing in Great Britain, but I loved coming and climbing in the states. First time I ever climbed in shorts is when I came to the, the United wow. States, which is great. Otherwise, in Britain you're just kind of climbing in thick, heavy clothes, and you're climbing in British weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, everybody can make their own joke. It's more more mountaineering, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then. Um, so that, I ended up staying here and just doing outdoor activities and really um, doing lots of hiking, getting into mountain biking, and ended up, uh, you know, had kids, um, and as they were growing up, just wanted to get back into being a little bit more fit and active, so I joined the gym, and when I was at the gym, I met some guys who uh, were already doing stuff on the adventure racing side and one of them was Mike Spiller who's kind of my business partner on on the Rev3 side of things. I actually met his brother first and went and did a race, a short sprint race with his brother and one of his friends um, and loved it. You know, it's just just matched everything that I was already doing. You know, it had the biking elements, I you know, map reading, it was and I'd seen events but they weren't never called adventure racing. I mean, growing up, there lots of the people, the instructors who came and, and worked at our center, they would go and do this stuff for fun, right? They yeah, would just yeah. make up courses, an orienteering course, go and do this stuff on your bike, and it wasn't called adventure racing. It was just called getting outdoors and playing. Yeah. Having going out for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's great having the structured side around it. You go, someone will be putting on an event. It's more than an O-meet. It's more than just going and doing a mountain bike race. You know, it had the paddling elements in there. So I loved it. And competitive. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't, don't think of myself as a competitive person, but when I get out there and I start racing, it's, you know, something that's clicked. It, it shows up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really how I got into it. And then um, Mike was already starting. He already had kind of a, a local adventure racing group, and we started doing some um, clinics. And I kind of already had the skills and the expertise for all the different kind of uh, elements that went on with it. So helped him put on some clinics, and then we really, we both had a young family, and we we were kind of doing this stuff on the weekend, and we really wanted to get our kids and other kids involved, and that's really where we started putting on some of these smaller family adventure races. And they they were just a lot of fun, a lot easy to put on. We were working in local parks, and that's kind of like where we got our foot in the door, and we kind of expanded out from there. So, so what uh, what was your first big big adventure race? Um, it was probably one of Ronnie's Odyssey races. Okay. Um, you know, there were some twenty four hour races, and I, I'd done a lot of the uh, smaller sprint races. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a I'm not a fast person. Um, yeah. So I, I like the longer races. I like oh, anything over twelve hours. Kind of suits my personality a little bit better. Um, yeah. And and so and really the Odyssey races were great. And then um, Doug's his American Adventure Sports race has been up and, and done a few of those. So uh, yeah. you know it was about basically four to five years where I was trying to at least put in six or seven races 
uh, from different lengths, at least a couple of 24, 30-hour races in that time. And I've, sure. the past, past two years, I haven't had a chance to go and do any long races, which is because I'm now busy putting them on. Yeah, that's it. that comes. You know, you could probably uh, find a team for Itera that would love to have somebody from Wales on their team. Yeah, I know. I, no, I've been looking at that. Uh, I'd love to go back and just do that myself. Um, it's, it's strange. I was looking at the course, and I can yeah. pretty much guess exactly where they're going. I did, because uh, they're starting in North Wales and heading down to South Wales, and I rode that whole route um, with, a, with a good buddy probably when I was 17 or 18, uh, and we so, rode a lot of that uh, on our mountain bikes. So, well, maybe after people hear this, you'll start getting some phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the local, you know, local knowledge is pretty important. Yeah. When, you know, when Primal Quest was here, Paulette just, you know, she had a year to spend looking at maps, and she nailed the rough outline of the course probably within 90%, because, you know, you know that there's certain areas, like, they were climbing in the needles, and you know it's surrounded by wilderness, so there's only one way in and out, so yeah. that, that local knowledge can be can be pretty important yeah yeah so you guys then for rev3 you just just started that as a kind of a small for the kids thing and and you know how did how did that evolve into the behemoth that it is yeah so um you know mike is a is a great business partner he's he's just got so much passion um and he really kind of drives us forward and he has a great vision of where he wants us to go I'm kind of more of the detail guy on the back end, making sure things are in line and, and moving forward. And he's he's really pushing us forward and, and looking at the growth. And so, you know, for four or five years, we were um, doing our day jobs and on the weekends, putting on the adventure races and really looking to, to, to grow. Um, four, four years ago, we did our first 26-hour race, which was the Epic, which is out in Shenandoah, which is um, actually next week. And that was a great race, and we, we, we saw that, you know, if, we, if you really want to make it more of a business than a hobby, you've, you've got to start approaching it like, you know, you, you've, you've got to make money, you've got to view your races coming out as clients, you've got to make sure that you've got a really good product that you want to put on, um, a, a product to deliver, and all those things take time and effort. And yeah. so, um, I mean, our, our passion was driving us forward, and we were adding more and more of these races. Um, last year, we... We added a mountain bike series and a trail running series. We added Wyoming last year. And so it was getting to the point that, you know, I was working, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. I was doing my day job and then at the same time coming home in the evening and planning out all these races. Um, and it, it really came last year for both of us, you know, well, I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or not, but we were like, you know, what are we going to do? What, which way are we going to go? Do we really want to? go with our passion here or um, stick with our day job. And we, we decided at that point that we were going to make this our day job. So we've, we've really been doing this full time as an events management company for, for a year. Um, but five, six years before that, we've been doing it and growing the business. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very tricky business because yeah. it's, um, it's, un, it's almost underground. There's a lot of, I mean, there's competition out there. Um, there's lots of people putting on really good races, but our audience is is a niche market, and so we're we're trying to attract people to come out um, to do our events. We want to make sure they're they're really good, and we, um, we feel we're doing a good job right now. We've uh, a lot of our customers are repeat customers. People are coming back, which which is good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, sure. it's um, one thing that helped us grow as well is we we kind of teamed up Rev Three. I mean, that originally comes from um, a, well, it's a triathlon company, and it's um, owned by Charlie Patton. And so we work with him. When we, when we came across to do this full-time, we also joined his triathlon team. Um, we, yeah. and we tour around the country, and we help him put on those triathlons. Um, this past year, we've, we've expanded that out. We've started putting on half marathons um, for Cedar Fair, and we're looking for other event management opportunities that we can help grow this. And, and still keep doing the adventure racing side of stuff as well. Yeah. So you guys are kind of, kind of a separate but part of the company. Is that? Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. So we're we're able to use resources. We're able to use the same staff, and 
um, it's a good synergy. It really is. Yeah. Uh, on the triathlon side, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different audience, but we do see a lot of triathletes mm-hmm. uh, wanting to come over and try something a little bit different. Um, some very good athletes there with some good endurance. Uh, and so we see those teams or those people wanting to come over and try the adventures race sites, try something a little bit different. Um, you know, it's always usually the navigation component yeah. of it that scares <laughs> people a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's why we start. We try and have some sprint races, which is, you know, if you can read a trail map when you go to your local park, you can come out and do one of our sprint races. And then from there, you can kind of step it up. And even on our epic race, um, we design our races so you can pretty much hit all our mandatory points, complete mm-hmm. the course with yeah. very, very little map skills. And then if you really want to go and be competitive and get our optional points, you know, you, you're going to have to use some map skills, plotting, um, some compass skills, terrain navigation to really be able to complete the course. Yeah. So, um, it, it looks to me like adventure racing is having a little bit of a resurgence. Um, I mean, are you seeing that with your numbers with, especially with the smaller races and in that area? Yeah, I mean, we've never, any, any race that we've put on, we've never seen the numbers drop. Um, yeah. If we do, we reevaluate the venue and see what's really going on. We, we actually had a race last, one race last November where we didn't get the numbers, and we just couldn't figure out what it was. Um, the marketing's always tough for us. I mean, yeah. how, do you, how do you get the word out there? How do you expand beyond the audience of the people who already know about adventure racing and make it be something that they want to come and do? Um, you know, everyone's competing against, um, you know, the Tough Mudders, the Spartan Runs, and those types of things that, you know, always irks me. They're always billed as adventure races. Yeah. The Outside <laughs> Magazine lists them as adventure races, and it just annoys me. Yeah. My uh, my tweet on Monday was, you know, Monday the day when adventure racers have to spend the day saying, no, it's not like a Tough Mudder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But... Those are the type of people where we're actually really trying to start with our marketing yeah. side. Where we've we've gone to, we thought we'd have some big crossover people from um, the CrossFit CrossFit uh-huh. gyms, and we've been out to them in our local area. We've actually seen very little uptake from them. The, the biggest area in growth that we see from anyone is on the military side, because those guys get it. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, anyone who's been in the military or is still in it, they they kind of get what it's about, and they understand the navigation and they understand the different elements. And uh, that's we always see a growth in in um, that audience. But, well, I think what you think part of it is they they're really used to teamwork, the military yeah, side of it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think you know things like. Um, it doesn't get a lot of TV exposure, uh, and that's always been a challenge, is how you can make that exciting. You know, everyone knows about, you know, always comes up, or everyone always knows about the Eco Challenge when that first came out, and Primark Quest got some coverage, and there's lots of other race companies right now, the World Series, um, American Adventure Sports, all these people are pitching and trying to get this stuff on TV. We're trying to do it. Um, because you know that that as soon as, as soon as you can find that and you've got the right kind of chemistry between teams and it gets picked up, it's, it knows it's going to help our numbers. It, yeah. it, as soon as you get out there, people are like, well, I saw it on TV. I want to try it. Um, yeah. so, I mean, that's the holy grail of trying to, trying to get that. But is, is TV, I mean, obviously it must be, but is it as important anymore as can, or can you, could you do it with a big web presence anymore i mean well i think you know especially on the social side that kind of area is growing you know i see my kids they spend zero time in front of the tv anymore Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, and you know that i mean they're i've only got you know a teenager or whatever but i think even you know as the millennials come up and you've got people in their 20s then they're not sitting down and watching tv um so anything that we, and we do the same, we push our stuff out on YouTube, we're using Facebook, we're using all the social medias, and we're yeah. very aware of those tools on how we can advertise and also present our events yeah. um, while, they, while they're going on. Yeah, but as you well know, it's it's a full-time job just trying to, you know, put all that stuff on the internet, whereas, you know, TV, it's like, 
there it's on and you don't yeah. have to worry about it so yeah that's yeah marketing is marketing is everything anymore isn't it yeah i mean that's you know that's why you know that's how i hooked up with you originally in wyoming is we we knew that how important that was to be able to get the information out almost in real time yeah. on, on on the social channels yeah and you did a, a fantastic job on that you know just during that week the amount of um traffic that we saw come to our website mm -hmm. to uh, like our facebook page the number of likes that increased just by having that one event and then pushing the coverage out through those social channels was amazing i mean it's yeah. it's just what you know four days of activity you know yeah out of traffic yeah and that's what i've discovered is is i don't even think about trying to put out anything you know maybe a short little something after a race but but nobody cares i mean you know it, it's it's that immediacy that yeah. everybody wants right now you know and you know fortunately i i think with the internet i think that's probably helping adventure racing grow too because people there is an audience that will sit and watch your computer and refresh and refresh and want to see stuff while the event's going on so um you know yeah. Cool. <laughs> I mean, we're doing, um, I mean, we look at really small promo snippets just for marketing. So we, we know mm -hmm. we've got anything that's over a minute 30. Yeah. It's too long. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And so that's basically yeah. geared at our marketing. We're trying some new stuff. So hopefully people tune in um, during the epic. We're going to do um, some little snippets and try some social media stuff during the race uh, to see if people like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've we we've invested pretty heavily in being able to track our, our races digitally using Sport Ident systems, and um, being able to get the scoring online pretty yeah. quickly. This yeah. year for the Epic, we're using you know Pinnacle tracking uh, for the Epic. We're just trying it for our uh, four-person co-ed co yeah. team um, yeah. to give some immediacy to people can see where their their loved ones and teams are on the course. Yeah, uh, well, that's also plays into safety as well, and being able to track. People. Yeah, I'll I'll give some love for Pinnacle because I've been I actually helped him out down at, in Costa Rica at Worlds. Grant Grant got a little overwhelmed with eighty trackers there and trying <laughs> to do them all himself. So yeah, and that's where we you know, we know we know we're using them out in Wyoming. That, yeah. that that's important for us really from a safety standpoint more yeah. than anything. Um, and but and we learned last year. I mean, we had a pretty good communications plan, but it's so remote out there. Um, even you know our sat phones were were dying. It was yeah. it's not good. So um, basically, we're you know we we're going to try them out during the epic. Um, see how easy they are to manage. See yeah. kind of the feedback is, and then we'll have um, some knowledge about the system as we move forward into Wyoming. But there's yeah, great technology out there, and we, we embrace that stuff all the time. Once again, it's it's giving back to our customers who are our racers and making sure that we're looking at the best products that are out there to give them you know a, a good product when they come and race from it. Whether whether it's a map, whether it's getting immediate results, whether it's being able to let their family follow them online. We you know these are the type of things that we constantly hear back from people. You know, in addition to a good course. Yeah. Safety, communications, um, accurate checkpoints, good discipline breakdown, those types. Of things. Yeah, and I, I, you know, if if other people don't know, I was out at your first race last year at Wyoming, and it, from my point of view, you know, kind of being there and looking, it, there wasn't, didn't seem to be too many problems with, with the race itself, other than maybe a little wind one day, but. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so. Let's uh let's talk about Cowboy Tough. How did how did how did that happen? So I that, mean, you're in you're in Virginia. How did <laughs> how are you putting on a race series in Wyoming? So that I mean that goes back to Mike and his his passion and his his willingness to go after business opportunities. So we we kind of go we go to different events and we look for opportunities of where we we can go and. Um, basically put on a race as a business proposition uh, yeah. rather than just a passion because it's in our, our, our back garden. We, we, knew, we know we've got to look for these opportunities moving forward if we want to stay afloat as a company. Yeah. Uh, we can't just keep doing small local events. And we, you know, we like the challenge of doing that. 
So um, Wyoming was looking for um, an adventure racing company to come out and help promote uh, their tourism, basically. They wanted mm -hmm. to be advertised as an outdoor destination. And they, uh, I think they came across us as a race company, and they went out with um, some RFPs to some different organizations, and we put ours in. And when we put ours in, I think we, we looked at it more of as a long-term relationship with the state of Wyoming. Uh, some other companies kind of came in and said, we're going to come put on a race, and it's kind of one and done and they were going to move on. And we kind of put a plan together that says, well, hey, look, we'll, we'll come in, we'll have this uh, premier event um, that can showcase the whole state. Um, we'll start in different quadrants of the state each year. We'll end up in, a, in the same location each year, which is right in the center of Wyoming. It's at, in Casper. And, um, you know, we had a five-year plan. And then around this big race, we'll also put on these smaller events uh, around the state to highlight different state parks, the history, other activities that people can do. And um, the governor liked the idea. It was one of his, his um, propositions to be able to have adventure racing to help highlight the state. And uh, that's really kind of how we got involved with it. And then so they kind of said, yeah, we want you guys to come out. And we were like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now what do we do? <laughs> now what do we do? But, you know, we went out. We... Um, like you say, it's, it's, it's great when you have local, local knowledge. So we contacted um, people who have local knowledge on the ground out in, out in Wyoming, worked with them, worked with a lot of aerial maps, met with people who had ideas about where it should go. And we kind of came up with a big, a very big overall picture. We were able to, you know, Google's an amazing thing. You can look, mm -hmm. look the aerial imagery on that is amazingly accurate and if you know what you're looking for and you're knowing how you want to design the course it's it's great to do that then we we went out and we did a, a huge reconnaissance trip we did two big trips out there um pre-ran a lot of the course where we knew it was tweaked some out went back to the locals got a lot of feedback um and then that's how we ended up designing that first year course and at the same time we were also designing year two which is coming up which is going to be a, another great course that's starting out kind of in the wind river range and then working back into uh into casper and we're already working on right now um year three which is starting up in the big horns um and then going to be working down to casper yeah. yeah so and then so the plan is what four years of four day races basically and then then a major expedition race in year five yeah, that's the goal. So we're going to start in each of the quadrants. So it'll be you know north, south, east, west, ending in the middle, and then we are going to do a five to seven day race that really circumvents around each little bit of the areas that we've done and kind of spirals into the middle of the state. Um, so that's the overall goal. Uh, you know, we're working on permits for year five right now. We've already got the feelers out for that because we're going to be up in Jackson area and there's the national parks up in there. Yeah, so you got a little, little few more people to talk with. Yeah. I, I mean, it helps. I know from around here, you you're establishing relationships with people and and figuring. Sometimes it's just figuring out who to talk to. Yeah, is, it, it is really the is. Thing. And then, um, so I mean, the f first year was tricky. I mean, we we dealt with probably twelve to fourteen, you know, local, state, federal agencies. We we were crossing about six or seven different pieces of private land and a piece of private land in wyoming is usually an extensive piece of land yeah um and some of the locals are, are friendly and they they don't mind some of the people like you know no you're not coming across my property and you yeah. you know have to respect that and you have to work around that and that's all part of designing the course um this year's been a little bit easier because year one you're going in and there's a lot of people who are like, well, what is an adventure race? I don't even mm -hmm. understand what you're trying to do. So you've got to start really from the ground and kind of explain the whole concept and how it's what it's going to be like. There's a lot of concern about damage to the environment and you know the, those types of things. And so year two, people start to get it a little bit better. Um, still, we're working with different agencies this year. Uh, and there's different personalities within agencies that may make it easier or harder. So, but um, we're pretty much through this year, and our permitting process. Our permitting process basically started in October. Yeah. 
2015, BLM actually wants our permitting process to start in August. So as soon as we finish um, the Cowboy Tough for 2014, we're actually submitting our permits to BLM for 12 months in advance for that year. So there's a lot of planning that has to go into it. (laughs) There is. So how... The concept of the race was a little bit, a little bit different. How did, what, ex, explain what it was, and then how did you come up with 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 it? Yeah, so it's almost, um, so it's almost like a stage race, but we we try and put enough out there for elite teams to stay out for for twenty four hours, um, and then finish the day, and then continue onwards if they want to. But we didn't want to make it so challenging that if someone really wanted to step up and come out and do, uh, you know, a three, four day race, that they were they were just going to be beat and dropped out. Yeah. So rather than designing um, short course sections, we designed the mandatories, mandatory points that everyone has to go through, um, really as the short course. And the long course is the optional points that surround all the mandatory points. What, what we found that does is, is really let us keep all the teams together um, from a safety and logistical and management standpoint, permitting standpoint. It's a lot easier to have people spread out over a day's worth of course than three days worth of course. Yeah. Um, and if we had teams that were just going all the way through and you end up, you know, it, even in the long race, you know, you can have a team finish two, three days ahead of someone. Yeah. So that, you know, it's, it's hard. You've got people camping out at checkpoints for two, three days straight. Um, they don't see people for a long time. They're coming through. Uh, and for us, we saw it as a, a safety, logistical, um, and an experience issue for our races that we were going to break it up in this way. And, and one of the cool things that we do in our race is we have our mobile transition area. So we have this massive, we have a tractor trailer. It's a 50-foot trailer. Um, everyone hangs their bikes in the back. Everyone has a gearbox that they can bring with them. It's a you know 35 gallon gearbox. They every single person has, and they have all their supplies in there. And they unload and load this this themselves. And we drive that to what we call our end of TA. Um, and so as teams race through, they have to um, check in at these end of day TAs and they're not allowed to check out of them till six o'clock in the morning and they have to have left there by eight. Yeah. And so what we'll try and do is design the TAs to end in an area where there's some interesting features. We can do a large foot O course. And so if people are rolling in there, the elite teams are rolling in there, um, there's enough points for people to have to go back out and keep themselves busy before they can leave again at six. Whereas some of the teams who come in and they, they, you know, they want to sleep for four hours, five hours, they can. There's an area where they can bed down. Maybe they want to go and try and get a few of the optional points. And they, they're kind of close to a home base and they can come back to it before they move on again. Yeah. And I think it worked well. I think we only had um, first day we had people come in early. But by the end of, by the end of the race, we only had two two teams. We had Technu and Untamed were the only two teams that really cleared. The end, they got every single checkpoint on the course. And those guys were coming in, and they were probably having a break of maybe in one or two hours when they were coming into the transition area. So I think we, we had good feedback from the teams. I think it was a little bit different from, from the races that some of the other elite teams had done before, where it's yeah. just flat out all the time, straight along the course. But we had good feedback, and uh, you know that's it's the model that we're going to use going forward. And it's kind of the model we use on our shorter races too, uh, even in the epic. So, People will yeah. go out there next weekend, and they'll see if they just want to hit the mandatories, they can go through, and it'll be a 12-hour race for them, and it'll be a huge accomplishment. Um, whereas our elite teams, they will be out there um, for 26 hours if they want to try and get every single point that's on the course. So, yeah, just. Uh few people i talked to is well specifically um kyle peter was like when he saw the mobile ta i i think there was some hesitation about that and then but he told me when i talked to him said that was the that was the greatest thing ever (laughs) (laughs) i i know they really appreciate not having to build bicycles yeah yeah i know i mean um you know we don't we don't have to unload or unload people's gears we we put that on them so there's no if you you know if 
if there's a box that gets left somewhere, that's that's on the competitors. That's a little yeah. bit more on responsibility on them. It's not us leaving stuff behind. It's it's them, yeah. <laughs> which I know can some be an issue in some races. Yeah, but uh, well, yeah. What race doesn't somebody leave something? So. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so got any? Can you talk a little? Wanna or can you talk a little bit about this year? Yeah. So. Um, I mean, I don't want to give too much away. We're we're uh, it's it starts out in Silver City, so that's a it's a ghost town that's yeah. up in the Wind River range, and that's really where it starts. Um, we've got some some a lot of single track and a lot of technical riding this year for the biking side of stuff. Um, the rope section will be another rappel. Uh, that's that's going to be good. Uh, we've got some whitewater rafting that we're going to be doing this year. We've got flat water paddling. Um, we've got a horse challenge this year, which is we're, we're finalizing the details on that, but that's going to be fun. Um, and that's going to be, you know, year one, we were looking at doing a horse challenge as well. And we had so many questions from people coming in about, you know, their ability to ride a horse and all those types of things. And then we found the logistics of trying to round up a uh, hundred horses and have them in one place at one time and do the logistics behind that was extremely complicated. So um, this year is, is more of a, it's it's a challenge involving horses. Let's put it like that. And you really are not going to have to have any kind of major riding skills to be able to compete it, uh, complete it. Um, got some good and more interesting bike the the terrain is great again i love wyoming because the terrain is so varied i mean you are i mean you're in high desert some of the time you're in mountains you are um just some really varied terrain that we've we've got we're going to be going through today uh through through this year um i'll be going out there in um june for 10 days to pre-run the course uh do final logistics with um agencies landowners and do all the final coordination for that and then I'll, I'll be out there again the week before the race which is uh it starts on um july 17th so i'll be out there the full week before that setting the course uh and, and driving it once again and making sure everything's set up ready for our competitors yeah so um you've got the horses this year last year you had the the hand carts yeah. are you are and and the hand carts were sort of a historical part, you know, part of where you were, the area with with the uh, around right. Independence Rock. Are you going to try and do that every year, something like that? We do have. Um, I think we have two historical challenges this year. Okay. Um, so. And they're they're still being finalized, um, but yeah, it's it won't be as uh, they won't be as strenuous, but they they're more skill based challenge than so. endurance, I would say. That'll be interesting, and I like it because it was. You didn't just make you know last year with the hand carts. It wasn't just here take this hand cart ran around. You actually put an O course in there. So yeah, I, well it's it's nice when something is part of a race. It's actually part of the race and not just just thrown in to to say you're to say yeah, you're so, doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, but, um, yeah, and that was fun. That was. Um, and it's great to work. It was great to work with the the Mormon settlement there. Um, they were extremely, extremely nice and and great for letting us to do that challenge there. And one well, one of my only regrets about that challenge is it was optional. I mean, it was yeah. a hard leg to get out to. Mm-hmm. We only had I think only like twenty twenty five percent of the teams got to go out and do there do that. Yeah. It'd been great to be able to have that in part of the course that um, more people could have gone and done. But we felt at that point and, and where it was in the race, it would have been extremely challenging for everyone to have gone out there. Yeah, I can see that. So um, the race going to fill this year, you think? Um, yeah. So we are one of our one of our capacity issues is our mobile TA. So yeah. um, we we can actually fit. We're expanding it a little bit. Um, we can fit 90, 90 people basically in our mobile TA, and we're at I think. 80 people right now maybe 76 so we've got room for about two more two more three more teams depending if it's a four person or a two person and we know we've got some people waiting in the wings yeah um i am guessing probably by mid may that it'll be full 
So, and uh, what's who's who are who do we know that's coming? <laughs> um, Techno will be back. Um, our, our Rev Three team will be back. Um, I've got the I've got the list somewhere. It's up online, I think. Yeah. Our, um, I'll put a link to it. So yeah, can see. it's up. Um, we've got uh, a, a local team from for the Wind River area that's coming out. That's uh, built from some some local people in that area and the Wind River County, which is pretty exciting. It's great when when we get the the locals from Wyoming coming out. We're we're pretty excited. We've got a, a team coming in from Casper. Um, we've got some more teams coming down from from the Denver area as well. So, well, I uh, did an interview with Graham Bird from South Africa last last week and talking, asking him about things he wanted to do. And I mentioned your race, so you may not this year, but you know he's always looking for something to do. So maybe we'll find some, get some South Africans next year. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you've got the twenty. 20- six-hour race next weekend and i'm going to put this up this weekend so okay. so we'll, we'll get that out so um talk talk just a little bit about that in case we get any last minute yeah so yeah listeners. registration is closing for those races um all those races this saturday at midnight and we're we'll i mean we we cap the epic at 70 teams and i think we've got 70 right now but if we, a few people want to trickle in we can it's nice where it's, it runs all through the Shenandoah Valley on the Shenandoah, Shenandoah uh, South Fork. And unlike one of the issues that we have in Wyoming is finding 30 canoes, more than 30 canoes, <laughs> we have an abundance of canoes here. We work with a great uh, canoe company that we, we base the race out of called the Down River Canoe Company. And John is, uh, you know, we have an abundance of canoes. So we're, we're able to have, you know, I think we're ultimately we're going to have more than 400 people racing uh, that entire weekend. Um, so Friday night is a packet pickup uh, at one of our local outfitters called uh, Appalachian Outdoor Adventures up in Luray. Um, we do a big pre-race brief and kind of hand out our maps um, there. And then Saturday morning, uh, everyone meets down at Down River and we'll ferry them up the river, um, throw them in. Uh, and this year, I think the course, if you just do the mandatories, you're going to be doing, I think, 70, 70, 80 miles. And if you're getting all the optionals, you'll be doing 120 to 130. Uh, the path is beautiful. I, I mean, I live, um, I recently moved out to re- very close to where we do the race. And it's beautiful out here right now. Everything's budding. It's it's just coming alive. And it's uh, it's April is a great time of year yeah. to do this race. Um, and then we have a sprint race, which is in a Shenandoah River State Park, which is um, right next to where we run the the, the um, transition out of, and we have a family race in there too. And this year we added um, another event called, uh, and this is just you know one of Mike's great plans of expanding and, and getting a, additional audiences. We're running a race called Aqua Blaze, and this this is sold out. We we cap this, uh, and it basically follows. The first part of our 26-hour race, and it's mm-hmm. um, a 15-mile paddle, and then a 15-mile trek, um, and it's a marked course. And so, it really, it's kind of getting the outdoor enthusiast. You know, the barriers that we see to getting in adventure racing is mountain biking and navigating. And so, yeah. we strip them out. And we said, "Well, come out and do a paddle, and then come and do a trail run." Um, we'll tell you exactly where you need to go, and uh, people, people, and we do it. It's solo and a two-person team, and we've seen a bit sold out. And we've got, I think, forty people doing that right now. And we we were going to cap it at, I think, twenty-five originally. So, well, cool. Well, and that's actually one other thing I wanted to talk about at uh, in, at Cowboy Tough. You have a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Yeah. So t- yeah. So. I so mean, this year we, we've really expanded it and we, it's called uh, really the Cowboy Tough Adventure Week and we're starting off the week with um, a sprint adventure race at Kirk Gowdy, which is actually where the Cowboy Tough started last year mm-hmm. and it's going to be a, a six-hour adventure race uh, through that park and that's going to be a lot of fun. The following day we have a mountain bike race at Glendo uh, State Park, which has uh, a brand new mountain bike trail system just being put in. Um, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And 
anyone who's coming out to do the Cowboy Turf has free entry to those races. So if you want to come out and do a bit of climatization and take a little bit more time off work and come and really enjoy some of the other sights and sounds of Wyoming, these, the, anyone who's taking part in the Cowboy Turf can come and warm up for this sprint race and then come and do some mountain biking. And then in Casper, which is where the race finishes, we have um, a glow run, which is kind of a, a 5K run that we, we like to put on for the local community, and that's at sunset. And we have a great finish line that has lasers and smoke. It's a great family fun event. We have a 12-hour race that we're doing called Casper Strong, and that's based around Casper Mountain. And that's um, more of a marked course, uh, uh, trail running, mountain biking, um, they'll be going through the Whitewater Park down in Casper. They'll be doing some shooting challenges. They'll be doing some more kind of cowboy challenges. Uh, and that's a solo and team event. Then we have an urban challenge, which is like a big scavenger hunt that goes on in and around Casper. And then we have a family adventure race on the Sunday. So we really do have all these events that are going on. Oh, and then we're finishing off the week with another glow run down in Cheyenne uh, at Frontier Days which ah. is a huge rodeo that goes on down in, in, in Cheyenne. So, yeah, we've got a whole packed menu, and you can see all them. People can find that information on it. Uh, we have a, a web page that's cowboytuffwy.com, and that yeah. lists all those events that are going on that week. Yeah, so, yeah, and I'll put links, all those links in the show notes and stuff. So, great. yeah, so. Well, cool, we've almost... Wasted an hour of our day, so... Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not wasting. How can you waste your time talking about adventure racing, right? Well, that's true. That's, that's what I'm finding is it's, it, it's... It's been kind of hard, sort of, to get people to start to be on and to talk. But once once you get an adventure racer talking, it just goes and goes and goes. Passion, right? <laughs> You've got to be passionate about it to keep going back and doing it. Yeah, race yeah. One or the other. Here's Here's... One, two questions that I've been trying to remember to ask everybody. When you're racing, do you have a favorite piece of gear that you, that you like? Or when you're when you're doing stuff? I mean, if you're just out, do you have something that you really like to have with you and use? Um, you know, I like all my gear. I love I love my bike. I love my pack. I love my coats. I love my clothes. I love everything. Um, you know, there's there's one piece of gear that I loot. I do like taking out, and I use. I don't actually use it when I'm racing, and I sometimes just use it when I'm out uh, playing around. And yeah. it's actually um, a old compass that belong. It's it's my dad's old compass, and so I, I like to go out and it's uh, use that. It doesn't work. It, the the bezel just sticks or is too loose sometimes, but it, I kind of like having that. It's kind of takes me back to my roots almost like a little moment. little touch yeah. <laughs> yeah okay then the other thing is when you're racing yeah and this probably actually applies even when you're putting on races no matter when you start packing are you still putting your gear together the night before you leave uh definitely when i race i've got better at that. you get better at that you know <laughs> you you kind of learn what really you you don't need and you realize you bought way too much stuff yeah and we've actually, for, for our um, races, we've got better and better. We really have. I mean, that's something that we really focus on is our logistics. Yeah. And um, we only haul what we what we really need. But I still, when we go to Wyoming, I, ca I pack the kitchen sink, literally. Yeah. <laughs> in case something goes wrong. But we've, we've, we've got better. But um, definitely when I'm racing, it's always, shall I put this in? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I need it. Yeah, you just never can. So, but you know, everyone, I, I have my bag ready to go. I got a bag downstairs that I could pick up right now and go and do a race. Yeah, that's uh. Well, I talked to Mark Latanzi a few weeks ago. He's like, "Yep, you could call me at ten o'clock Friday night, and I can be there eight o'clock in the morning to race." Yeah, so, <laughs> that's cool. Well, thanks for the time. Um, I I think I finally come with a closing for the podcast. It's uh, go fast and take chances. I like that. I think that's a good one for adventure racing. So, um, well, you know, we're getting pretty close. We'll just start having to have some conversations about yeah, yeah, about Cowboy the, Tough and yeah, and for the Wyoming. Um, I mean, just uh, in case anyone's listening, I've really our volunteer schedule for that will really be ramping up in the next uh, four weeks. We we kind of already have our core team that's going out. We know yeah. 
um, but we, we are always looking for volunteers to help us out for all these local events as well as the three and a half day um, race. And it really is a race within a race. I mean, everyone who came and helped last year was, was they loved it. I mean, they get yeah. behind the scenes and they've you know, made some great friends and they're passionate about it. Um, and then well, and you know, from the volunteer standpoint, the, the end of day TAs is really nice because you actually got to interact with the racers yeah. a little bit. So yeah. it, it's not like I tell the story at Primal Quest. They had a volunteer, this gal. She was on a mountain for three days by herself. Yeah. You know, that sucks. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, and then also, you know, we'll be starting to send out, uh, we have a pre races brief for the Wyoming, which really has 99% of all the information that uh, teams need. Uh, mm -hmm. And we kind of wait that as we find out, do some final logistics and, you know, cross some T's and dots and I's and stuff. That final version of that will be coming out in the next three or four weeks. And we'll start communicating with teams. We already, you know, we actually communicate with all our um, uh, three and a half day teams. You know, if anyone has any questions, they get in touch with us and all the rest of it. But that stuff will be ramping up after the epic. So, well, cool. Well, have good luck with the race. All right. Well, um, we'll see you out there. All right. Thanks. All right. Talk thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.